Well, good morning again, everyone. I am Levi Pancake. For those of you that don't know me, I serve as one of the elders on staff. We are continuing to look at the book of Colossians, and this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. That's Colossians 3, 22 and following. Uh, so, please uh, turn along with me as, uh, as we look at today's passage. This is the Word of the Lord. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning to consider your word, herald your goodness, to declare to you and to one another that you satisfy I pray now that you would incline our hearts and open our eyes. Please, Lord, give us understanding and satisfy us with your word and with your promises. Uh, We love you, Lord, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Pastor William Taylor in London uh, describes Christian spirituality as supernaturally ordinary. It's supernatural, to use some of the language from Colossians, because it's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's uh, like Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Colossians 3.4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the old is gone, behold, the new has come. Supernatural is Christian spirituality, but it's supernaturally ordinary because it, it impacts our daily lives. We're called to work for the glory of God and the good of others in creation, in the here and the now. Christian spirituality is supernaturally ordinary. Now, when our culture, society thinks of spiritual people, oftentimes as a default, they might think of, you know, the, the monk who's off in a secluded place, uh, chanting, um, singing, serving, uh, often a place that is remote, Uh, doing exotic things. And and oftentimes our society is pretty fascinated by that. But according to the Apostle Paul, in the letter of Colossians, and throughout Scripture we see that our Christian life is not called to be some remote, outlandish, uh, monkish, exotic, you know, other world, afraid of the secular world so that we're not defiled and dragged down by it, but rather our faith, our Christian life, 
is a life that makes an impact for the glory of God and the good of others. You've probably heard it said um, about people before, you know, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Well, that is not biblical Christianity according to the Apostle Paul. We ought to be Specifically, we see in Colossians 3, so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. So that is the, the tone, the setup for our passage this morning where we're, we're picking up and we're looking at this third sphere of domestic relationships. We talked about the other two spheres last week. Cody was here, and he talked about uh, husband and wives, marriage, and then he talked about the parent-child relationship. Those are those two spheres that were addressed in Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Now we see this third sphere with bond servants and masters in the first century Roman household. Here's the, the main idea for us in those spheres of relationships, doing our earthly good, all of our work, all of our whatevers, is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our work, all of our whatevers, is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see two simple things underneath that. One, um, as Christ followers, we're to work heartily as to the Lord. And as Christ followers, we're to treat workers and others justly and fairly as to the Lord. First of all, let's look at uh, verse 22 and, and think about this idea of working heartily in our whatevers under the Lord. Chapter 322 says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, uh, obviously, we need to pause, need to give some historical context and background about the first century Roman household. Now, uh, the word bond servant literally means putting oneself in the service of another for a period of time. Studies uh, of slavery in first century Roman Empire, uh, it, it included various types of slavery. You know, there was the slavery that, you know, the Roman army or an invading army would come in and they would conquer a nation, they'd conquer a village, they'd conquer a people. And when they did that, then they would capture those folks and they would uh, put them in involuntary servitude. Now, Paul is very clear, the Scriptures are very clear, that that type of servitude is wrong. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul uh, equates that type of, of slavery and trading, he um, equates it with other big sins and vices like murder, and sexual immorality. He clearly says it's wrong. Now, that's not the type of slavery necessarily that we're looking at here. There was another type of slavery that was pretty common in the Roman household at this time, one of, of bond service. So, in a society where there was no federal or state support system, 
As a person would fall into bankruptcy, um, one such person could solve their financial problems by giving themselves over to bond service for a period of time. That's specifically what Paul is talking about here. Uh, Ancient historians estimate that some 60 million people in the Roman Empire, about half of the people walking around, doing life, could have found themselves in in some sort of bond service. Doctors often were bond servants, household managers, bankers even, tutors. All of them could have found themselves in this position, and they were interacting and living with others in a home. That's why I said this is third sphere of domestic relationships in this society. You have husbands, wives, parents, children, and then you have this bond servants and, and masters. Now, we have to be very clear also. Paul's purpose in these five verses is not to condone slavery. I already mentioned he didn't condone the um, you know, invading army, uh, army, conquering people, placing people into slavery, but he's also not condoning this bond service type of slavery as well. His aim is not to condone it. First of all, we got to be clear on that. Second of all, when he mentions bond servants or when we think of slavery, we do have to at least make it clear that this is a different type of slavery than what you and I often think of when we hear the term slave. Our minds immediately go to 18th and 19th American slavery, you know, the slave trade, which was clearly horrible, abominable. It was a disgusting enterprise that dishonored the Lord and treated those who were made in the image of God as those who could be traded and bartered over like cargo or cattle. This, bond servants and masters, is not that. While still, Paul's not condoning it. He's not encouraging it. It is not the same thing. Oftentimes, though uh, bond servants could be treated poorly, more often than not, and I'm not trying to romanticize this type of slavery, but they were treated often uh, much like family members, although, of course, not in every case. First century Roman slavery, even this type of bond service stuff, was still horrible. And it still was an offense to people made in the image of God. But first century Roman households did look a little different, and the homes were often bigger, Uh, not only including parents and children, but grandparents, adult children, their children, and of course, bond servants as well. So again, Paul's aim here is not to condone slavery. He's not saying two thumbs up here. This is different than 18th and 19th American slave trade stuff. But Paul's aim here is also not to completely overthrow the existing economic society that perpetuated this. Paul's aim here, and this is important, is to address individual Christians on how they are to conduct themselves in the situations they find themselves in. I'll say it again. Paul's aim here in this small section is to address individual Christians 
and how they are to conduct themselves in the situations that they are placed in. So with all of that said, an application for us in 21st century America can be difficult to to figure out. None of us, as far as I know, are bond servants. None of us are masters that have bond servants like this. But it can be justified and legitimate to make what's called a principled homiletical application, principled preaching application, that for us, there are some principles in this passage that highlight how we are to work and how we are to interact with others and how we are to treat others. So it's not sames. Hear me. Paul is addressing bondservants and masters. I'm not ignoring that. But there are some principled applications that we can make that apply to working and interpersonal relationships and how we are to treat others. Now, again, we think about our work life for a moment. It's very important for most people, five or six days a week, even in the pandemic, work is divided into eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, and eight hours of free time. Work is extremely important. You know, oftentimes when you meet someone for the first time, one of the first things they ask is, what do you do for a living? A lot of people find it important and can easily find their identities in it. We're also not bond servants in the same way, um, though, you know, there are some who are coming out of college, sign up for a company, and that company will pay off their student debt or all that stuff. It's not the same exact type of bond service, but you are kind of, you know, indebted to that company. But most of the time, we have the freedom to take our talents elsewhere if we want. If we feel like the Lord is uh, giving us another opportunity, even in a pandemic, we can often switch jobs, change careers. If we think we can serve the Lord better, if a better opportunity comes up, we can usually um, move from place to place and, and change jobs. Maybe a little more difficult with unemployment at 10% nationally right now, but still, I'm trying to highlight that there's some applications here, but it's not exactly the same thing as what Paul is talking about. All right, all of that is just trying to tee up these five verses to, to help us think through some applications and some principles here. Going back to verse 22, Paul says, bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters. Now, right out of the gate, you say, Paul, I mean, seriously, obey in everything? What if a master or an employer or someone in authority asks me to do something that is against your law, against your will, that clearly goes against the commands of Scripture? And of course, we would say the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Cody mentioned this actually last week with um, children and parents, where in verse 20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything. So what Paul's saying to bond servants is a similar phrase uh, to children, obey. Like generally speaking, you should have a disposition where you follow orders, where you do what your parents ask, or you should do what your employers ask, or you should do what the uh, ruling authorities say. That should be our general disposition unless it goes against God or His Word, in which case we clearly obey God first. In fact, Paul actually throws that that idea in there when he qualifies the term masters with the term earthly. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, he didn't say that about parents. He said, children, obey your parents. He didn't say earthly parents, but here he throws in the qualifier, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly 
masters. Contrasting between the masters who have a limited domain, a domain of influence or responsibility with clear boundaries compared to our master in heaven who rules all things, who doesn't have boundaries or limits to his rule and reign. That master, that authority supersedes all other authorities and masters. That master, that authority is who we are ultimately serving. That's consistent with Paul's line of reasoning here as he instructs Christians how they are to conduct themselves in their everyday lives and the situations that they find themselves in. So, we look at this as we're to uh, obey, we're to work hard. He's going to say not by way of eye service as people pleasers. He's going to say how not to do this, and then he's going to explain a little bit how we should do this. So we're to work heartily, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So working by way of eye service or people pleasers is working in such a way to attract someone else's, oftentimes a boss or supervisor, their attention, or to work in such a way where you're trying to get uh, someone else's favor. Now, we all know obnoxious people like that, um, people we work with. Maybe you're that obnoxious person, I don't know. But you're, you're in a meeting, and all of a sudden, you know, that person speaks up and tries to take credit for the team's idea. Or um, you got the coworker who is always on their phone looking at vacation rentals until the boss walks by and all of a sudden they perk up and they work, look to be working diligently. Um, we all know the coworkers and fellow employees who are very quick to push you down in order that they may just get one step ahead. And maybe if it's not for a boss, I mean, it could be for a client, it could be for a very influential client, it could be for a very influential potential client, it could be for a customer, etc. Paul says that we're not to do our work by way of, of eye service or people pleasers, working primarily to get someone else's attention or to get their favor. That should not be our motivation for work. But with sincerity of heart, here's the positive way to do it, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Paul is saying, whatever you do, the Lord is watching. The Lord sees how you use your time. The Lord hears how you talk about others when they're not around. Notice, you and I have two bosses, one earthly limited domain, rule, and authority. The other, the Lord, unlimited domain, rule, and authority, and He's the one that we primarily work for. He continues to elaborate what this work should look like. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I love that universal phrase, whatever you do. Whatever your whatever is, you are to work heartily. Now, there's a lot of whatevers here this morning. Um, medical professionals, people in sales, homeschool teachers, public school teachers, administrators, HR professionals, 
business owners, restaurant workers, student, service industry worker, stay-at-home parent, retail worker, construction, contractor, custodian, cook, driver, banker, accountant, etc. I probably missed 60% of the whatevers. Whatever your whatever is, you are called by God to work heartily. Heartily means enthusiastically. Heartily means energetically. Heartily means faithfully, without grumbling or complaining. We are to work enthusiastically, energetically, and faithfully in whatever our whatever is. We're to work with all of our heart unto the Lord. Now, Paul is getting at the motivations for our work. Saying, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So hear this. We don't work just so we don't get fired. We don't work just so we can make more money. We don't work so that we can save up and make that addition to our home or buy the newer home or get the nicer car. We don't work because everyone has to work and we're working for the weekend. We don't work just so we can enjoy our free time. We are to work heartily with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord because you and I are serving the Lord Christ in all that we do, in whatever our whatevers are. And he um, pushes this, this other motivation there where he says, remember, as you're serving the Lord Christ, you will receive an inheritance as your reward from the Lord. Now, for a bondservant, who has most likely had to file for bankruptcy in their system and may be looking at years, if not decades, servitude for a particular family or household. Paul's reminding them, brothers and sisters, you have an inheritance. The same for us. I don't know each of our financial situations or whether we're in a dead-end job or a job that is looking very promising. But nonetheless, you are working and knowing that you will receive an inheritance. The Lord has sealed, has guaranteed that inheritance, Ephesians says, with the promised Holy Spirit in your and my life. We have an inheritance. So we work heartily with sincerity of heart, knowing that we'll receive an inheritance, and then, as if that wasn't as much of a motivation as it needed to be, then he does the contrast. He flips it in verse 25, and he says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. If the inheritance doesn't motivate you enough, well, then the punishment might. Now, it's unclear whether Paul, in terms of the wrongdoer, who's the wrongdoer here? Is it the, is it the bondservant or the master? And there are a lot of thoughts on that. The simplest solution is to say he's talking about everyone and anyone who has a whatever to do. Any wrongdoer 
will answer for the wrong that he or she has done, and there is no partiality. Now, of course, for those of us who are in Christ, we're covered by the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ. And yet, we do see in Scripture that the quality of our work will be judged. Just think about that. We will answer for the work that we do and how we do that work. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So for the person who cheats, they will answer for the wrong they have done. For the person who steals, they will answer for the wrong they have done. And the person who lies, the person who is lazy, the person who is harsh with others, the person who is wicked, the person who uses others for their own selfish gain, the person who ignores others or disregards others, coworkers, clients, employers, etc., the person who grumbles and complains, the person who intentionally takes advantage of others, all of them will answer for the wrong they have done. For there is no partiality, meaning that God does not take into account whether you're the CEO or the intern, whether you have a master's degree or a high school education, and everything in between. On judgment day, social status is inconsequential. On Judgment Day, human achievement, irrelevant. On Judgment Day, it doesn't matter what title you have in the organization. God will show no partiality, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Brothers and sisters, whatever your whatever is, we are called to work heartily with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, knowing that we have an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You and I, in all that we do, are serving the Lord Christ. So whether it's making that extra phone call at work or finishing that very tedious and mundane task, if it's at home and it's cleaning up after yourself, or kids cleaning your room and making your bed, whether it's um, finishing writing that paper or completing that report, or once again writing policies for another round of COVID regulations, we in all of it, the big and the small, are serving the Lord Christ. And lastly, in our work, we are to treat others justly and fairly unto the Lord. Our last verse, chapter 4, verse 1, says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I mentioned earlier, in no way is Paul condoning slavery here, and I, I pointed out a, a verse in 1 Timothy 1.10. There's also a, a verse in, I think it's Revelation 18, where it's explicitly stating it. But, but even 
under the surface, as Paul is addressing bondservants and masters in this way, it's pretty remarkable given the time period that he's writing. For him to address masters in this way, and then for him to say, you treat those bondservants justly and fairly. You just have to look to the book of Philemon, and we'll see in chapter 4, Onesimus is one of the people with Tychicus who is carrying this letter. I mean, it's clear Paul was not condoning slavery here. And he is encouraging those who have people in their employment who are working for them. Under your care and supervision, you are to treat them justly and fairly. You should care about those who work with you and for you. You should be concerned that they're paid properly. You should be concerned about their families. You should be concerned about their health. You should be concerned, as much as they'll allow you, about their personal lives. Why? Because those we serve alongside in the church, yes, and in the secular world are all made in the image of God, and God cares for them as those who are made in His image. So we are to treat others justly and fairly. Why? Because we have also a master in heaven who we will ultimately answer to. Now, a few um, just quick, like more application, just a few quick thoughts regarding these five verses. I borrowed some of them from Kent Hughes um, in his commentary on this. But I think one, uh, about Christian work ethic. Christians should be the best workers. And the reason I say best workers, it's a comparison. Best meaning uh, um, other people should be good workers too, but best in terms of because we have new life, because we know the Lord Jesus, there should be something qualitatively distinct about our lives. Scripture calls it bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And in comparison to those who don't have this hope and aren't working for eternity and living for eternity, we should be seen as the hardest working. We should be the people that treat others with the utmost honor and respect. We should not only be people pleasers, but we should be doing all of it unto the Lord. For all of our work points to Jesus and the quality of that work. Secondly, just because we work heartily unto the Lord, just because we work fearing the Lord with sincerity of hearts, it is not a guarantee that um, our enterprise, our work, our company will be successful. Just because you work in this way, it doesn't always mean that then you're going to get that promotion or that you're um, going to get the next job offer, or you're going to land the big client. Now, Proverbs talks about hard work oftentimes or generally leads to those things, but it's not a guarantee, and it's not always. There could be hardships, there could be trials, there could be difficulties, and even in the midst of those, we are called to work heartily unto the Lord. And then lastly, uh, this is not an excuse. You know, this working hard under the Lord is an excuse for workaholism. And it's not an excuse to neglect your family. See previous verses. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Being married to your job is a form of harshness to your wife 
in your kids. We are to work hard, but we shouldn't allow this passage um, to be used as spiritual language to cover over our greed and our covetousness and our idolatry. Nor should we exploit others. We shouldn't exploit others, sure, but nor should we exploit ourselves with such obsessive work habits. Brothers and sisters, as we work unto the Lord, hear the, the truth of these. Like, this is a very liberating principle and thought. You and I work for the Lord, not for man. We're not driven by their expectations or their demands on our lives, rather the Lord's. It's liberating. Notice how equalizing this is. The Lord judges our works with no partiality. And notice how supernaturally ordinary it is. A decade ago, I was um, a pastor of a college ministry. And, you know, in college, you've got a ton of idealism, which I love. There's a lot of energy and excitement. And it is not difficult to get people pumped up, you know, to serve the Lord. And everyone's, like, ready to charge that hill and conquer the world for Christ. And I love that energy. What's missing when you're college-aged, however, is uh, you think it's much more romantic and exciting, uh, just life in general, than what it actually is. Nobody tells the 19-year-old that life is full of the mundane, the menial, and the everyday tasks that are not romantic and that you don't read about in the missionaries' biographies. But may we be faithful in those very small things that the Lord may be glorified over the trajectory of our lives. Brothers and sisters, let's work heartily, enthusiastically, and faithfully while treating others justly and fairly unto the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would be people marked by a strong work ethic, motivated, by service unto the Lord, rejoicing in the inheritance that we have in Christ. Help us to treat others as who they are, made in the image of God, dear to you and precious in your sight. May we be people in our Monday through Saturday lives who are faithful and energetic in serving you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.